0: Any single person watching this can overtake Bill Gates. I truly believe that in the next few decades, you can overtake Oprah, The Rock, or Bill Gates using new technology, using your brain. But too many people don't believe that they can do it.
1: And that's unfortunate. Timothy, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for coming on. No, thanks for having me. So, you know, Timothy, your content creation journey has been uh, a long road. And it's fascinating to see, you know, how you have evolved over time. So what was your headspace when you first created content, you know, over 10, 15 years ago?
0: Yeah, I mean, I got started, I was on a reality show called Wall Street Warriors, and it, it blew up. Um, it was like one of the first HD uh, TV shows, and HD TV wasn't a thing back then. So they played my my episodes over and over again for like three months, like a three-month <laughs> period. I didn't buy a drink at all in New York. Everyone was just buying me drinks, uh, which is Good and bad, but I, I drank too much. Um, but then, you know, because I was in the hedge fund space uh, back then, the regulations where you couldn't talk about the money that you made, you couldn't talk about your performance. And I have like a big mouth and I wanted to like talk to people. The reality show got me out. Um, and then I was like, you know, once the reality show ended, people were still messaging me. It became a hit. Apparently it was like the top most downloaded TV show uh, on early iTunes, like years ago. I mean, this was 15 years ago, but it got me started thinking, wait a minute, I should just be able to talk about what I do freely. So I had to leave the hedge fund space, got into teaching, which is like, if you teach in the stock market, it's like a whole industry full of snake oil salesmen. So I was just like, let me be real. I've actually made a lot. I've actually lost a little. I can teach the rules. My biggest loss happened when I didn't follow the rules that I didn't know existed before the loss. So I could like teach through my wins and my losses. And 15 years later, like I'm still doing the same thing, just being real with everybody.
1: It's beautiful because it seems like three themes that are really consistent and important in your life are teaching, giving back through your charity work and, you know, the uh, stock trading work that you do and are known for. So, why has teaching always been something that has been so important to you?
0: So when I first got started teaching, I, I specifically was just trying to be like, wait a minute, there's a whole industry of frauds. I'm real, I'm gonna dominate. You know, there's a saying like in the land of the blind, the one-eyed man is king. So I was like, let me just be real and I'm gonna dominate. Um, but it didn't happen very fast. You know, I, I created this program called the Millionaire Challenge where I was gonna try to create millionaires from scratch the way that I did. But for five years, I had zero millionaires. I had a lot of students studying and they were gradually growing their accounts, but no one cracked a million. Everyone was making fun of me. They're like, you're not, it's not the millionaire challenge. Like, your millionaire challenge, duh, with a D at the end. Like, I have zero millionaires. <laughs> and it takes time. Like, my average student starts with $2,000, $3,000. Then in 2013, two of my students hit a million dollars. CNN did a whole article. This is actually, we're coming up on the 10 year anniversary in one month. Of Tim Gratani, he'd started with fifteen hundred, crossed over a million dollars. The CNN article went viral. People were like, "Oh, wait a minute, there's actually a process here. You're not a fraud. But in the beginning, I didn't love teaching. I just saw opportunity. Over time, you know, the, the adrenaline rush from trading, like I've now made over seven and a half million dollars in trading, the adrenaline rush drops. And then it's like, why am I trading? Like you know, everyone's like, oh, are you gonna retire? But now donating all the trading profits to charity, makes it more meaningful. Teaching others, I grew to love and it makes it more meaningful. So I think that whatever your journey, whatever industry you're in, you need to listen to your heart and find meaning. It's not just about money. It's not just like taking advantage of opportunity. Now I actually work harder than I ever did because I'm traveling for charity, teaching nonstop, trading, um, and I'm motivated every single day.
1: Something beautiful you talk about and that you're able to display is being in it for the long game and, you know, really exercising, you know, that delayed gratification. And so how has your journey shaped your perspective on patience and the value of delayed gratification in achieving long-term goals, especially in a world of short-form content today? It's
0: crazy because the world is, is going the wrong way. Like more and more short-form, you know, videos are taking off when you really need to focus on more long-term journeys. Like I say, it's a marathon, not a sprint. Um, I actually now have 30 plus millionaire students and I don't say it to brag, I say it because now you can see their journey. And, And I always tell my students like, they have to post every single trade so you can see their journey. And if you judge from not just my journey, but now my 30 millionaire students, none of them made much or even anything in year one or year two. They're studying, they're trading small, they're learning. Year three, year four, year five is when things really start to click. So now my, the past few years, now my journey is like getting people to really understand that it's a marathon. And unfortunately the world is going the opposite way, which I think creates a lot of problems. I just had a conference here. I was actually in Vegas uh, three weeks ago. I did a conference for like 500 people and I smashed a laptop. I don't know if you can insert this video, but I I literally, had a broken laptop. It was already destroyed. I'm not like just breaking new laptops, but I was like, let me destroy it on camera in front of 500 people. And I told everyone to take out their phones. It was like a little social experiment. And I said, don't tell anybody why I'm doing it. Just post like a three or four second clip and come up with your own excuse why I, I lost it. Like some people said like there was no Wi-Fi. Some people said I did like a bad trade. I didn't, I didn't care. I just wanted them to video me throwing the laptop, which I did. And it, it blew up like everywhere on, on social media. Cause it's like not many people smash a laptop. There's, You know, no context given. The whole trading industry is like 90% of traders lose. So the industry is very toxic. Negativity spreads faster. And everyone came up with their own conclusion on why I was breaking the laptop. And I did it as a test because I was like, you guys who are in the conference, you know that this is just me playing a prank on social media. Um, But it was a good example of how things take off on social media for the wrong reasons. And then I posted a YouTube video the other day, like with a 30 minute explanation showing it all, but that no one really cares about that. So I think social media is very dangerous where you get the wrong uh, perception and like a, a small video or photo can get taken out of context and cancel culture is very real and, and very bitter and angry. Um, I kind of like canceled myself because I can, you know, it's it's I like, it, it's, it's fun to, to recognize, but it's also dangerous. And it's kind of sad because if social media went the other way where people were more and more interested in long form content and you could actually get like in-depth conversations like this, I think the world would benefit. So you, you have to do it. The, 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 world rests on your shoulders.
1: I will take you up on that and take that responsibility. Something you touched upon was some, this idea that I like to call, you know, headline reading, you know, so, you know, we'll read the headline and think, you know, we'll come, can come to an automatic conclusion on, you know, the video that we saw or an idea of a, you know, bias that we already have a great example of the uh, marketing tactic that you did at that conference. Do you know a Logan Paul and KSI? They found yeah, it a course. crime. Okay. Yeah, so yeah, so they crushed it So they they had a release in London like a couple of months ago and they told the audience, empty your prime bottles, and then just throw them at us up on stage. And then what happened was all these videos came out and all these news articles picked it up and was like, oh, they probably got booed off stage. They're terrible people um, and gave them all this free publicity. And then similar to the video that you released, you know, Logan and KSI came out afterwards and was like, yeah, we told them to do that. So uh, all of the news articles that picked us up, you know, thank you for that free publicity. Um, Something you mentioned towards the end is, you know, this idea of cancel culture. And I know with your appearance on below the deck, that was something that you almost experienced because of the way that things can get cut up in the story that other people can tell about you. What are some lessons that you learned from that experience?
0: Yeah. I mean, now I'm, I'm able to play pranks on myself and like my audience, but you know, if you sign up to a reality show, you have no control. The producers are saying everything's great. They're, they're lying to you. Like, don't trust anybody in entertainment in Hollywood. Um, the below deck was crazy because I, I worked out, like I, I trade from everywhere I go. So I worked out a special internet package ahead of time. Cause I'm like trading on the yacht. Um, and I'm making all my students, I bring students on, I gave them a little free yacht trip. They're wearing shirts that say TimothySikes.com. I was like, yo, this is gonna be great advertising. I'm I'm specifically trying to make a big trade. So I'm trading like ten times the size I normally do, because I got three cameras in my face filming it. I actually made an amazing trade. I made seventy thousand dollars with the cameras in my face. The Wi-Fi went down. I had to call in the order. Like it was a it was a beautifully Executed trade, and I was shocked how well it worked. And so the the yacht trip was three days. I did this trade on the first day, and so the next two days, I'm like, I'm walking around the ship. I'm like, "Yo, I'm the man. This is amazing. We just got the best trade." They're gonna sell. It. All the producers are like, "That's amazing footage. We're gonna love it." You're a new American hero, and I'm believing their BS. And so I'm acting like it, like a douchebag, an extra douchebag. I'm already like a little bit of a douchebag at that point, <laughs> but now it's like the ego has just grown while we're filming. And I ended up like, you have no control. You sign your life away when you're on a reality show. Um, but I also, you're you're not guaranteed any airtime. So at the end of the show, I wanted to be a little like controversial. So like you're supposed to give them a big tip in cash. That's the only guaranteed scene. And because the Wi-Fi went down and like, frankly, the, the crew sucked, like there was a lot of problems. I yeah. showed them a big stack of cash and I took back half. And I was like, you don't deserve this. And I knew it was gonna cause controversy, but apparently it like it vilified me because they didn't show they ended up not showing the trade that I made. They only show me taking back mm-hmm. half the tip. And I I guess I've been voted like the worst guest in like eight years. Like my episode is is the most popular episode. Fortunately they all wear timothysykes.com t-shirts. Um, but I still get emails to this day, like it airs on Tuesday. So on Tuesdays, my DMs still blow up. This is like a decade later saying like, you're such trash and all this stuff. I actually went on a second time. I don't know if you know this. Second time, I was like, I don't want any hate this time. I don't care how bad the crew is. I'm gonna leave them the biggest tip ever. So I specifically brought $30,000 cash just to tip them. And I was like, you can be as bad as possible. I'm not gonna crack. And they actually were good this time and they deserved it. I left the biggest tip in show history. The, the episode aired, boring. They, they showed it, no controversy, no drama. The, the good episode bombed. The one where I'm the villain, Everyone sees the good news. There's a silver lining. Some people might say, "Oh, that sucks." The silver lining is the one where I'm the villain. Everyone's wearing a timothysykes.com t-shirt. The second time I went on the um, the whole agreement where you you sign on to the show changed. There was actually a clause that said no logos on your clothing because. And I asked the producers, yep. and they're like, "Yeah, that's because of you. We call it the Sykes clause because like you advertised your business." So the popular episode where I'm the villain still gets me customers to this day, even though like it didn't work out exactly according to plan. But negativity spreads, so embrace it.
1: Yeah, and it's incredible that your expectation for the show and what you thought you'd get out of it was completely different. You actually ended up just getting, you know, this incredible inflow of students and which probably makes you happier because you're like, you know, okay, like this is awesome. Like I love teaching and <laughs> I'm happy you guys are here. <laughs>
0: it's it's funny how it works out. and I, And I think that it goes back to saying like, look, you can do these publicity stunts purposely or inadvertently. Um, but you need to have something else. Like you can't just exist on publicity stunts. Like, you know, Logan Paul KSI, like I don't, I've tried prime. It's, it's too much sugar for me, not for me to drink. I like coffee, but Logan Paul is extremely talented, like in so many different ways. So he does these publicity stunts, but then you see him in like the WWE and he's like doing the craziest stunts. Like, you know, he has the most and he he goes over the top for his content. So there's something else there behind it. A lot of people mistake trying to get publicity and then there's nothing behind it. They spend all their time trying to get publicity. Like a lot of these like new Hollywood movies, they spend so much on marketing. Then the movies suck. Like, I used to love Mission Impossible. I, I couldn't even watch the latest Mission Impossible. It was so disjointed and poorly done. And I'm a Tom Cruise fan. And they spent $300 million making it, another probably 150 on marketing, and it sucked. And I think we get that wrong in society. A lot of businesses, a lot of companies put in too much time and money and effort into marketing without thinking about the final product. So you gotta do both. Get the publicity, but make sure that the the final product is really good too.
1: Publicity without having real meat behind it reminds me of, you know, someone just really reaching for that 15 minutes of fame that doesn't last, you know, over a long period of time. And, you know, to your point, you know, I think uh, Logan is a great example of that because he has been able to, you know, persist regardless of how content has evolved. And I, I think that is what was beautiful kind of looking at your journey because, you know, you've experienced, you know, something similar. So can you talk a little bit about your work with Karmagawa and how that started? I think um, from what I looked at 116 schools uh, all around the country, and that is uh, incredible, Timothy.
0: All around the world, 32 countries now. Um, And now we have schools, libraries, computer centers, Uh, We've also done two documentaries, one on saving the rhino in South Africa. Uh, Then we traveled to seven other countries to look to how to save the coral reef. Um, We're trying different stuff. Right now I'm working on the third documentary. I'm flying back to Bali to open our, our last school for this documentary. We've been working on this documentary for two years, not just donating money, not just like celebrating every new school, but really showcasing why is education so important Um, you know, these kids don't have the opportunity to read uh, or learn how to read or or learn how to do anything. And that kind of condemns them to manual labor. Now, you know, 116 schools, we have roughly 30,000 kids going to school every single day around the world, whereas before they wouldn't have had um, that ability. And I think that the documentary is really going to show the real uh, divide between first world countries, third world countries, educated versus non-educated. You know, people in first world countries, we we, we take education for granted. Like people skip yes. school. They're like, no, I'm not going to learn. I'll just go out and like smoke in the back or like I'll just be on TikTok all day. And they take their their education for granted and it's a luxury they don't even realize it. Versus kids in these third world countries where we're also now building homes during the rainy season, they're living in like these shacks that can just wash away. i meeting dads where they don't sleep for months on end because they're so worried about their family getting washed away and drowning. Like it's it's crazy. Um, and I I can't encourage everyone you know either to watch documentaries or ideally go like you said you're going to Nepal and India, um, both really intense countries. We have charity projects in both. Um, and it just opens your eyes. So I think that you need to have perspective. And the reason why I got started, I was in Bali. Um, this was years ago when I was just, I was a teacher already. I had already made millions trading. Uh, my teaching business was growing, but you know, in Bali, Bali is beautiful. Have you been to Bali yet?
1: I have not been to Bali, but it's on the list.
0: Bali is beautiful. Um, it's getting a little more like tourist now. So it's like, it's tough because they don't have the infrastructure to support it. But back then everyone's just taking me to like nice restaurants, nice spas, beautiful pools. And I was like, no, I I want something different. So I actually asked my driver, to take me to his village. And he's like, no, I don't want to do that. And I was like, no, I want to see like the real Bali. And I got to know like the locals, we tried to build the school in his village. It didn't work. There was like some political issues. Building a school is not always as easy as it seems, especially like, I don't want to be like the white man coming in, like being like, this is what you're going to do. We don't own the schools. I don't teach the curriculum. The locals own the schools. Like I just donate the money to like build the schools. Um, But it really opened my eyes. And and so we built one school in Bali to open uh, the foundation, then two schools in Nepal, uh, six schools in Laos. Um, And then one by one, I I started visiting them. And I was just like, I got obsessed. Like, you know, Laos specifically, um, we had donated money and I was visiting two of the schools and I just was overcome with emotion. when, When kids are hugging, like the kids are small, they're hugging my knees, the parents are crying. And I'm just like, You know, I had come there whenever I visit a school, I always try to make another donation. Um, And in Laos specifically, I was like, okay, I'm going to donate, you know, an extra fifty thousand dollars, which goes very far in a third world country. But I was overcome with emotion. And I literally was just like, spur of the moment, I was like, I'm going to donate a million dollars. And everyone was shocked. The translator even got it wrong. Like, I didn't know, you know, I don't speak the language. The translator didn't know the word for a million dollars. So they said that I donated like $10,000. The crowd was still cheering. Like I, cause like I posted the video and people were like, you didn't donate a million. He said that you donated 10,000. And I was like, no, is a translator who doesn't know what a million dollars is. Um, but it was beautiful. And you know, it, it really made everything gel, like giving back, donating, opening schools, visiting the schools. Um, Karmagawa came about because it was the Tim Sykes foundation, but more and more schools, more and more projects came about and everyone thinks like they want like my name up there. So it's like the Tim Sykes school, the Tim Sykes library. And that's nice. But you know, if you're going to do a lot of them, like I don't need that recognition. I'm not like some like, you know, typical rich narcissistic Caucasian man who needs to see his, his name everywhere. Um, Specifically, we built a soccer stadium in Cambodia and it was beautiful, like watching the kids play soccer. It was a beautiful stadium. It still exists in uh, Batambang, which is amazing. But all the kids were wearing shirts that said, Tim, everyone's chanting Tim. And I'm like, no, no, this is like, they were just trying to make me happy. But it was like my nightmare. And I was like, no, this is, this is like, it's like a Black Mirror episode, right? Where, yeah. where Picture a thousand kids chanting your name. like, And I'm like, whoa, no. So, um, I changed the name. I took on a partner, His name is Madabad. He's a great uh photographer, he's Filipino, and uh you know we we met up. that's a whole nother crazy story, but like. He really wanted to give back to the Philippines. He was raised in the slums. Now he's a, a celebrated photographer. I needed uh, content. Like I, I can donate the money, but I'm not good at like photos or videos. I really wanted to share the stories. So we partnered. We changed the name to Karma Gawa. Um, Gawa in the Filipino Tagalog language means to do or to make. So it's like we're making good karma. Um, and Matt has you know really changed everything. Like we we built a great social media community. He takes amazing photos and videos. We have charity merch. Um, you know, I still donate my trading profits, but now a lot of people have gotten involved and we have, you know, over a million followers on social media. Um, and it's beautiful. People want to help. They just need a little guidance and you just got to be real. Like there's again, bad eggs in every industry. There's a few bad charities where they don't show all their donations. Uh, we show every single donation. Um, you know, a lot of charities like take salaries as part of the donations. I, I just pay all our team salaries on my own outside of the donations. So all the donations go directly to the causes. Um, but again, it's it's finding meaning in your work. I love teaching and now I love giving back. Like I, I've always loved traveling. I grew up in a small town, but traveling just to luxury hotels, there's only so many like pina coladas and nice pools before you know you can take it, before you can just get like bored. So uh, going to these communities, seeing the charities in, in person, it's a it's life-changing.
1: Southeast Asia is something that's very personal for me because ethnically I'm Vietnamese, but my family grew up in Laos. So it was beautiful to hear your experience, you know, making houses over there, you know, so I definitely have a lot of genuine appreciation for that.
0: I love, I love Laos. Like this was crazy. I was, I wasn't sure how I was going to love it. I was just like going through a breakup with my ex and Laos was the first trip and the people were so warm and friendly and, it was just beautiful, and I love. Uh, what, are, what are those? They're like little coconut muffins. So freaking good! It's like a Laotian special, and I couldn't get enough of the little coconut muffins. I'm a. i am I love food.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, definitely uh, an off the beaten path country that isn't well known. So I'm glad you know you got to appreciate the culture. Something you also touched on was you know, a lot of people want to help, um, but you know there are these charities that you know might not be the best stewards of you know their money. And I think a misconception that a lot of people have is, you know, there are these like millionaires and billionaires and, you know, people look at them like, why aren't they just giving away their money to help people? And I was actually watching this interview from Ray Dalio and he said, you know, he's at the point where it's so much harder for him to give away money than it is to make it because he doesn't know if the people he gives it away to, these organizations and charities will be good stewards, you know, and so it's just like constant vetting of, is this going to is this money actually going to go towards the communities that need it you know and so i'm so glad that you know karmagawa you know makes their donations you know public because that's so important for the trust and um, the relationship that you're building with your community
0: making it public and also like micromanaging like you know people like a lot of people just want to donate write the check and forget it see like the building up like i'm i'm literally micromanaging everything i want to see where every dime is spent i'm not at the point where it's easier to make money than donate like it's still tough to make money um yeah. but i also want to just like I'm a micromanager. Like that's that's who I am in in trading, and teaching. I do all my own social media content. I've had like 20 people try to help me with social media content. None of them last because I just like lose it on them because um, I'm just like I'm micromanaging. But it's actually a good skill set for charity. Um, so I can make sure every every dime is spent well. But at the same time, even if the money is spent on the cause, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's like gonna fix it. Like uh, there's a lot of cherries out there, and there's a lot of causes where you just create this kind of like,, um, you know, it, it's it's the wrong reward system, right? Where it's like everyone's looking for handouts. and it's like a culture of handouts but that's not good. Like I, I, you know, the reason why we donate so much to building schools and like the teachers is because it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. You build the schools, then the people have the chance to learn and then they can become self-sufficient. Just like, you know, my top students, like my top students don't follow hot picks. Like my whole industry is all about hot stock picks. I don't want that. I teach people the process. Um, So you really have to think like, What can the money do and and what can your actions do going forward so that it's really helpful rather than counterproductive? Because I don't, you know, I don't have enough money to just give money always. And and people don't even want that. I find like the communities, they appreciate like the initial help, but then they want to prove themselves. Like people want to work hard. They want to feel, you know, useful, but you need to give them the tools and the training to, to do so. So, you know, we also donate to food banks. I get that some people like just need food, like if you're starving or you just need medicine. Uh, We did a a fundraiser for Turkey. We raised $300,000 for the earthquake survivors um, and, you know, went there and they just needed tents, like basic plumbing, clothing, like blankets, some very basic stuff. So sometimes handouts are needed, but in a perfect world, uh, we're providing a way so that the people can earn it themselves. And education is so severely... Um, undervalued in our society. And and it's really the key to changing people's lives. And already, you know, now that we've had these schools, we already have some success stories of, you know, teenagers who have now gotten some basic training and now they have jobs and now they're supporting their family. Um, So we put that in the the upcoming documentary. And it's, it's really cool to see, again, what you put in place in the short term and how it can pay off in the long run.
1: I completely agree. I, I, it's this famous saying that everyone has hold, uh, heard. If you teach, teach someone to how bitch. to fish. Yes, exactly. And you're giving them the ability to, you know, sow the seeds for their future and, you know, giving them the incentive of how, uh, of understanding how powerful education is. It's interesting. You know, I read an article recently that truancy rates in the US, I think, or maybe in a specific state are, are the highest that they've ever been. And it just goes to show, you know, that trend that we're speaking about earlier, where it's really gone unappreciated and kind of how important it is in a person's life. Because we think if we've always had it, then why do we care about it? So, I mean,
0: it's it's there's so much work to be done. It's it's a never ending battle Um, and it's getting worse with with, you know, less and less education um, more and more laziness, more and more, you know, I guess you could call it like time wasting content. Like I know people literally, they're just scrolling on whatever app their favorite app is. They're scrolling through the feed and they're looking at five to 15 second clips of content all day, all night. That's their life. And it's, it's, I like social media up to a point. Um, but I, I think that even as a content creator, like, you know, my engagement is down huge since I transitioned to posting a lot about my charities and teaching before. Like, I mean, I was like the original douchebag on social media. I would post like I had an orange Lamborghini. Um, I would post an orange Lamborghini. I used to like take out a million dollars cash from the bank and like spell my name on my bed in like stacks of like $10,000. Like I used to be that guy because I wanted to, not that I was like, oh, I need to be a douchebag, but like I, I recognize what motivated people to follow me, what motivated people to study. Um, and I still think that there's social media can be used for visual inspiration. Like a lot of the places that I traveled to now, I've seen in pictures and videos on social media over the years. And I'm like, I wanna go there. Um, you know, Years ago, before I ever went to Giraffe Manor in Kenya, I saw it online and I was like, that's cool. I wanna feed giraffes you know, from my bedroom window. And I went there and like, it was amazing there. You know, the staff is waking me up and they're like, sir, it's like 5am. They're like, there's a giraffe at the window. And I turn on the light. I'm on the second story. And there's literally a giraffe. They're free giraffes. They don't have to be there. They're not like, you know, it's not like a circus. They're free giraffes. They just know that they're going to get fed. And so like they give you pellets and I'm feeding the giraffe out outside my bedroom window at like six in the morning And it was just crazy. And I saw this experience on social media. So I think that social media can be useful, but a lot of people use it the wrong way. And there's a lot of, of the biggest influencers and the biggest celebrities, like the Kardashians, where they, they make it more about image and like, you need to have plastic surgery. So now all these girls want to have plastic surgery because they want to be like the Kardashians. Um, And I think that that's, it's just sad. Like, I wish that that we could we could flip the script and and have social media really be meaningful and inspire a younger generation to learn more to travel more, you know, I don't know. That's that's my my hope.
1: Do you think we're headed to a a breaking point of you know that type of social media content? And what do you think that breaking point looks like for everyone?
0: We're we're at a, a very tough. An, an important time in the history of the world, you know, like the breaking point of like, you know, how close are we to nuclear war? There's so many different conflicts around the world. And the number of conflicts goes higher and higher. And all it takes is one, you know, crazy dictator or like, you know, one politician waking up on the wrong side of bed one day and, and pushing the button. Um, so that's scary that we have nuclear war. You know, with the environment, it's scary of how we're we're are we at the point of no return with climate change, with plastic, with oil? Um, it's all heading in the wrong direction. Or can new technology come up and change everything like technology has a chance? Um, it, it sucks because, you know, we're not going to really influence nuclear war either way. We can help the environment, but frankly, there's we're just damaging the environment in so many different ways. It's it's maddening there was a study done that said that we've killed uh roughly 50 percent of the wildlife or it, may, it might even have been 70 percent of the wildlife in the past few decades between 50 and 70 percent and it's it's rough like hawaii used to be home of so many more uh species and hawaii is like the extinction capital of the world why because of so many tourists so much pollution um and same thing, like with Bali, like I've been visiting now for nearly two decades and it's changed. Um, so we're heading in the wrong direction and social media is heading in the wrong direction. Um, just, you know, as Logan Paul and KSI, I, I have to watch this video, I didn't even know they did that. But the way that I did it, where if you know how people are gonna react, like you can yes. you can tweak it, right? I just wish people would tweak it for good, and so I, I'm, I'm still learning how to maximize social media. But like I said, like we raised three hundred thousand dollars for the Turkey victims. Uh, we raised several hundred thousand for Yemen when they had uh, a, a starvation problem. Um, you know, we raised money for Lebanon. Like social media can really be used, but like even Facebook, I don't know if you know this. Charities are scared to talk about this publicly, but. Uh, Facebook meta just changed the rules with charity. Um, like now, I mean, it's like, I can't even do a Karmagawa fundraiser right now because I was 80% roughly of the donations to Karmagawa. We did fundraisers, but I was too big. The new rule, no one donor can be more than 33% of donations. Um, more importantly, you know, okay. So I, I need to do more crowdfunding or donate less specifically, but worse. Facebook was waiving all the fees um, for credit card processing because they wanted to encourage charity. Now they're reinstituting the fees. I think it's like one and a half percent, which isn't huge, but there's also another thing in the, the clause and you can dig into this. I don't know, I don't know if anyone's talked about this publicly because everyone's scared of Facebook and Meta, but like, I think it's either 25 or 50 cents surcharge per donation. And we have a lot of donations that were like $5. So now it's like, what, a five or 10% surcharge? And what's worse, and we didn't do this, it was on my to-do list with Karmagawa to get like monthly donors, like people who donate $10, 20 $30 every month. Um, we never did it because I'm just overloaded. I probably should have. But Facebook did away with that. All these charities that were getting um, monthly donations, Facebook wiped, wiped it away. And so I know a lot of charities that are hurting because all these new rules are killing any kind of fundraising. Um, so... Meta, you got to watch out for them. They they're very good, but they're also like you know, it's a little messed up that they're they're taking aim. But I I also understand they're probably doing this. There's probably a few bad eggs, bad characters in the charity industry, and they're trying to get rid of them. But like the whole industry suffers. That's really what it comes down to. The whole world suffers due to a few bad people, bad politicians, bad you know companies destroying the world, bad charities destroying the industry. Um, And it kind of sucks.
1: Especially when perspective, you know, people that were going to participate in that community no longer participate in it because they heard of that one bad apple and then paint, you know, the entire space in that way. And then to your point, you know, it hurts everyone. Something we were talking about earlier, Timothy, is, you know, how much impact your charity work has had on your life. What is, a fundamental life lesson or two that you've learned from the work that you've done in these underprivileged communities that has changed your life?
0: Yeah. I mean, I'm just much more grateful for everything. When, when you visit these third world countries and you visit like the families, they have nothing, like literally nothing. Like I'm visiting some of their homes. They're made out of like plastic that they get in the rivers and they're like constructing it like very, very basic. And they're tying it together with like straw. Um, and if you visit them, they're, don't, they're not whining. They're not complaining. They're trying to be proud. They're yes. they're showing off like they give me like desserts and, and water. And I'm like, no, no, no. Like, you know, several of the families go out and they spend money on these little water cups because they know that they're going to have visitors. And I'm like, save your money. Stop. Um, but they're, they're still, if you talk with them, they're still grateful to be alive. They're grateful for their family. Um, and I think people in, in first world countries could learn a lot about gratitude because we have so much. Like people in America are so spoiled. We're the most successful country in the history of the world. But I think if you polled most people, they would be miserable due to traffic, their jobs, uh, you know, pollution, what they see on social media. It's very tough to be positive when you, you don't have the right perspective about your existence. I was a philosophy major. Um, it really helped me have perspective in college and then traveling to third world countries gave me extra perspective. So I'm grateful for every little thing. Like if I have a bagel, I'm grateful for it. If I have, you know, just anything that happens, I'm so happy. Um, and I think more people should learn that unfortunately, People, you know, there's studies like 70% of people under the age of 30 hate their jobs and you're spending the majority of your life at your job. You think that you're not earning a lot of money, but that's only because you don't realize that there are people in these other countries earning like a dollar a day or like $2 a week. Like it's, it's crazy how little money people are making like company or countries like Bangladesh, where it's getting destroyed by fast fashion, uh, Companies and they're getting paid like fifty, seventy-five dollars a month, and they're working nonstop. And kids are working, so the world is is really messed up. But the first world just has a perspective problem, and people tune out their their negativity and their depression either with like drinking or drugs or you know terrible Marvel movies because they want to live in like a fantasy world because they don't want to think about their reality. And it comes back to education. Um, if people were more educated, whether in terms of understanding third world countries, having perspective about America, um, you know, I think they'll be more grateful. I think they'll be happier. And then I think if you can increase the happiness and and gratitude in people, they'll work harder. Maybe they're at a job they don't like, but maybe at night they can study instead of watching Netflix or something, they could study something that they really love. And if you study something that you really love, even for an hour a night for like five years, you're gonna become really damn good. And I always encourage people to partake in their passions and find their passions um, because that's when you're really going to excel. You're never going to excel in a job that you hate in a, in a a with a boss that you don't like and something you don't believe in. And you're just clocking in the hours to do the bare minimum, to get the bare minimum payment. That's most people's existence. And it's no wonder that they're sad. So I think I'm very fortunate to do what I love, travel, trade, teach. Um, and I wish more people would have that ability to do what they love and start taking steps in order to have the the odds on their side that they can actually do what they love. You're never gonna be able to do what you love if you don't start putting in time right now. Like everyone watching this, you should write down a list of five things that you love doing. How do you spend 30 minutes a day or, you know, maybe you have more time on the weekends, maybe five hours on a Saturday, working on the thing that you love so that maybe you're not going to be that good at it year one, year two, year three, but by year four, year five, maybe even year seven, you know, not everyone's perfect. Maybe you, you, you take a year off or whatever, but if you start planting seeds in things that you're truly obsessed with and that motivate you, it's amazing what you can achieve over several years in this world. The world is is rough in a lot of places with war, with the environment, but we have new technology. Whether it's communicating, you know, across the nation or across the world with technology platforms like this, sharing it on social media, um, we do live in the most fascinating time in human history. But I need people, and, and people should want to really capitalize on it rather than just, you know, whine on Twitter.
1: Okay, you're talking about a topic that I'm very passionate about, which is long-term gratification and you know the ability to work without seeing your results You know, until you know, years down the line. There are two things that come to mind for me of what you just said. The first one, I want to challenge you a little bit. Do you think passion is overrated or finding your passion is overrated?
0: No, I think it's usually underrated. I think everyone needs to find their passion and be willing to change that passion. You know, I I was obsessed with like cars growing up then I bought all my dream cars and then I got bored. You know, if you had asked like young me, like, oh, you're going to donate your trading profits to charity. You're going to focus on teaching. I'd be like, what are you talking about? Get out of my way, get out of my life. But you learn. And I, I wish people would really listen to their heart, listen to what motivates them rather than, just what pays the bills or what their parents want them to do. Like most parents want their kids to be like doctors or lawyers just because they know that that pays a lot of money and they want their kids to be financially secure. Right idea. But, you know, in this world, you don't need to be a doctor or lawyer. I make much more money. I know a lot of people using new technology who make much more than doctors or lawyers who are still seven, 10 years in debt from their law school and medical school.
1: G- completely agree and and it's interesting because the, the reason I pose that question to you is because you know I, I think there are currently maybe one or two issues you know the first one is people get stuck in this loop of inaction because they don't know what their passion is and they're like okay if I if I don't if I'm doing something and I don't love it then maybe I shouldn't be doing it but sometimes in the beginning you don't know if you love it, or if it's your passion until you give it some time, you know, then that's like something beautiful. And the second is I think about passion versus purpose a lot, Timothy. And, you know, when it comes to passion, from my perspective, you know, it's something that you do that's in service to yourself. You know, so I love graphic design. I'm just using that as a hypothetical example. And that's something that um, I'm going to work on to honor that gift that I have. But then purpose is something that we do that's in service to others. And whether the work that we're doing in the second and in the moment, we like it or we don't like it, if we have a strong purpose of why we're doing it, we stick through it anyways and see it through to the end. How do you kind of think about passion versus purpose?
0: Yeah, I mean, the beginning of any journey sucks. Like when you don't know what you don't know, when you you don't have the process down. Like some people try trading and like three months in, they're like, I'm just not having fun. And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> no shit. Like it's not fun to grind and learn and to realize how little you know about a subject. You yes. get to have fun in the long run after you master it, after you go through the ups and the downs. And you need those downs. People want like this linear progression. That's not realistic, right? Like if you just win, 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 you're not really gonna learn that much. You actually need the downs and they're they're not gonna be enjoyable, but you'll be grateful for them in the long run. So again, it's perspective. I've had my downs. I've lost a million dollars on a trade. I was vilified by the press once upon a time. It was terrible, but I learned what not to do. That big loss was probably the best thing that ever happened to me because I had a giant like, you know, just ego crushing moment. Um, And then I learned rules and now I teach the rules that other people need because a lot of people don't have this rule. A lot of people in my industry don't talk about their losses. So it's okay to not enjoy something. It's okay to fail. It's okay to lose in the beginning. But if you do have that big goal, 5, 10, 20 years out, You'll keep chugging through all the trouble. And then trust me, trust me on this. I mean, I'm 25 years into trading. I've learned a lot of ups and downs. I'm at a good place, but you're grateful for those downs. Like you don't look back and be like, I wish I didn't lose that. I wish I didn't make that mistake. I look back at my biggest losses and I say, thank you. Thank God that happened to me. Cause yes. I needed that lesson. The lessons that knock you down are the key lessons that allow you to grow in the long run. Um, But people don't like that. People don't wanna talk about failure. They don't wanna admit to failure. They don't wanna experience failure. Um, But oftentimes that's the best teacher. I can teach all day long about my patterns and rules, but you need that emotional education. And when you lose, when you fail, when you screw up, there is such an amazing educational moment going on. And I wish more people would do this. I say this to some students. I'm like, I hope you screw up so big. I hope you fail so big. And they're like, what? How could you wish that on me? Because again, if you have the right mindset where you're just gonna keep going, like even if you fail in the beginning, it's okay. So what? You screwed up in the beginning. Even if you screw up, maybe it's not your beginning. Maybe you're three or five years in. I had my million dollar loss seven and a half years, eight years into my journey. I had no risk management. I was like Icarus, I flew too close to the sun. I had no idea how cocky I was. I didn't know what I didn't know. Then the big loss put everything into perspective and I was like, don't wanna do that again. And it made me an infinitely better trader and infinitely better teacher through that struggle, right? Like you have scars, you know, I don't know if you've ever been injured. I have a scar on my elbow. This is what got me into the stock trading business. I was a tennis player. I had to have surgery. Ended my tennis career, got me into the stock market. I still have that scar. I can see it. This was 25 years ago. You need those mental scars too. In those mental scars, you remember. I remember what it was like to lose a million dollars. I remember what it was like for page six to write this terrible article about me that was the number one most shared uh, article for a week which I'm, I'm so grateful for PS, never get in a fight with a magazine editor. They have friends in the press, not the smartest. Okay. It wasn't always the sharpest tool in the shed. I'm still not, Um, but you learn, you don't have to be the smartest. You don't have to be a math genius. You don't have to be so intelligent. You don't have to be perfect. And people need to hear this. They do just need to start their process and their journey so that you can start learning, learning from your wins, learning from your losses, but, the clock is ticking on all of us. Every single one of us, we're losing time. We can't get that back. So if you start your journey now, there's no better time versus let's say, no, I have this, my new year's resolution. A lot of people have new year's resolutions, right? We're filming this in November. A lot of people are gonna hear this and you'll be like, you know what? You're right, Um, depending on when you post it. But like whenever someone sees it, whatever month of the year, I guarantee you some of those people are gonna wait for the next January to start. They're gonna say, it's my new year's resolution. I'm gonna, January 1st, I'm gonna turn things around with my passion, with my fitness, with my education, whatever. And it's it's totally meaningless. Your, your new year's resolution could be today's resolution. We're filming this on November 16th. You can have a November 16th resolution. You don't have to wait for January 1st. Why wait a month and a half or whenever someone sees this in the future? Don't wait. You're playing a game of catch up. Every industry has been going on without you the education of others has been going on without you you have to catch up you have no time to waste
1: this idea of life being short and tomorrow is not promised i think is something i think about a lot which is you know something you just passionately talked about so you know timothy let's talk about a scenario something a theme we just talked about is mindset. You know, this idea of the ability to embrace failure and realize that that's happening for us and not to us. So you have a student who is of the mindset that they're scared of those things that typically limit to us and put us in a box. How do you go about breaking uh, someone that you encounter like that out of their limiting beliefs?
0: Yeah. I mean, this is why I teach. I have 8,000 video lessons. Um, I have specific videos on this. Like I, I have categories, so I can send them a whole list of categories of the video lessons specifically on this. Again, it's all perspective. And the cool thing about having 30 millionaire students is now I can rely um, and kind of lean into their journeys and say, look, look at what this because like, you know, several of my students made nothing. They lost several thousand like Jack Kellogg. He was it was pretty crazy. I'll give you some inspirational stories, real stories. This guy was a ballet, found me on YouTube, was watching my YouTube videos while parking cars, okay? He parks a car, takes like a little $5 tip, then he's watching a YouTube video waiting for the next uh, car to come in. He saves up enough money to buy my trading challenge, the millionaire challenge, doesn't do well. He's still studying, he's still learning, um, but for the first basically 18 months, he loses money. And it's like, wait a minute, like why would you keep going 18 months every day studying learning but not all losses are created equal right so like even though he lost money overall he had a few wins and trading is a very inexact science so like you might try to buy a stock but you're too early you might try to you know buy a stock but you're too late you might try to buy a stock but it moves too fast and you miss it it's it's like i say that it's kind of like a, a fighter pilot and you know if you're like top gun and you're you're in the fighter pilot and you have like your crosshairs you have the enemy in front of you And, you know, they're moving and you're moving and you're trying to get in tune with them. That's trading, so it takes time. But Jack, through his ups and his downs, kept learning, getting better, um, refining his process. And now, you know, over $12 million later, now six years later, he's still in his early 20s. And he met the love of his life at my conference, my first female millionaire student too, Mariana. So if you stick with it, through the ups and the downs, if you are on the right track in life, you know you 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 get really good. Good things happen to you. I do believe in fate, and destiny. Um, the worst thing that could happen to you is if you don't start now, and then you realize this too late, and then you know you have uh, a whole like family, and you know you have responsibilities, and then you're like, I would love to learn, but I'm I'm stuck in this job. When I get home, I'm just so tired. So. My job is to reach people when they're young. And a lot of my newest millionaire students are young because they have the time to really commit to their education. They have nothing else really going on. I have a lot of millionaires in Michigan. I went to Michigan and I was like, why do I have so many successful students in Michigan? Because it's boring. There's nothing to do. All they do is study. And I rented like this this farmhouse, we like lost power. It was terrible. And it's good if you're in a terrible place where there's not much to do. I have a lot of students in like New York, LA, San Francisco, Miami. They don't do as well because there's so much stuff going on around them. And it's so easy. Oh, I don't want to study. I'm going to go to this museum opening. Oh, it's my friend's birthday. I don't want to study. You always have the choice on how to spend your time but I wish that more people would spend time studying with their journey so that they can reap the rewards sooner in life. You know, the, the average lifespan of people is going up. So we have more time with modern medicine and technology, but you know, I, I do get messages from older people and they're like, I wish I had found you earlier in life. I wish I had started earlier in life um, because you know, we, we are all running out of time. Anything can happen. And I think it's, it's tragic that a lot of people have a lot of potential and for whatever reason, their age, their life, their family—they're not uh, able to fulfill or capitalize on their potential. Um, and so, I, I just need to, like, you know, kind of smack them mentally to get them in in check.
1: If we want to know what we could possibly regret. Later in life, when we're at that age where we're reflecting deeply on our mortality, you're exactly right. All we have to do is listen to the people who have already spoken about it and make sure we don't live in a way that gives us the risk of feeling those same exact things. Some of the oh,
0: I was gonna say I've seen a video where like there's there's like male nurses or something where they they talk about like people on their deathbed and, and their regrets and. Everyone on their deathbed is like, they don't say like, I wish I would have worked more. I wish I would have made money. They say, I I wish I would have lived more. I wish I would have loved more. I wish I would have traveled more. I wish I would have spent more time in friends and family. And so it gets people being like, and this is, you know, devil's advocate to what I'm saying, where you should study and and sacrifice short-term fun. But what you have to understand is that all those people on their deathbeds, they never really had financial freedom to have the time to do what they want. Most people are living a rat race. We're talking about all this nice stuff. Oh, going to third world countries, like focusing on your passion. Most people are exhausted from the job that they hate. They're living in debt. They're just trying to pay their basic stuff. And it's a whole problem with their whole existence because then when they do have extra time, they don't want to study. They don't want to hurt their brain. They want to go to the movie theaters. They want to go to the club. They want to dull their senses. Because they don't want to think about their reality. You can change your reality by putting in the time and effort. I know people on their deathbed regret, like, you know, not living more. But in order to live more, you have to earn more. You need to get the financial freedom first, first and foremost. You can't do anything or very much if you're always living, you know, paycheck to paycheck. Then you have a family, then you have more mouths to feed, and it's a very slippery slope. So if yes. I can reach a few people right now to be like, yes, by all means, live better in the future, but also recognize that like, if you just live in the now, 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 and you never plan for the future, you're never gonna have a really solid future, right? It's, it's weird to think about. You need to sacrifice that short-term fun for long-term fun. You know, to this, this one student who wanted to quit after three months, like I'm not having fun. And I was like, correct. It's not fun to grind. You get to have fun once you grind enough, master the subject, earn financial freedom, then you can have all the fun you want. And a lot of rich people don't post about the fun that they have in life because they're afraid of how it'll look. But I'll tell you straight up because I'm already known as a douchebag, I don't care, I have thick skin, right? Guess what, being rich is amazing. Every single person watching this should want to be rich, whether you want to donate, whether you want to buy cars, whether you want to travel, whether you want to take care of your parents. One of the best things I've ever done was move my parents down from Connecticut, bought them one condo, two condos, three condos in Miami, combined it. My dad now goes to the beach every day. He's wearing pastel under armor. He thinks he's all Miami. He's just an overweight, like old man. Um, It's beautiful, but you need to get that financial freedom first. So I don't agree with people where they're like, oh, money doesn't mean much, I'm just gonna live. You can't truly live and enjoy freedom until you get over the hump, which you know, probably like 90 to 95% of people are stuck in the rat race. That's the number one problem.
1: You're completely right. You, you touch on this point of you know, somehow you know, wanting to be rich or gain financial freedom. Has been demonized, you know, in, in media and social media, and it's like, no, like what's like, I I just want freedom, and that's what you know, being rich, you know, affords me the opportunity to do so. Um, but I mean, Timothy, billionaires
0: are hated right now. Like, there's yes. a, a greater, you know, divide between the rich and the poor. Um, I agree. Like when you know, like The Rock and Oprah did uh, a call for donations for Hawaii, and it's like, wait a minute, you guys are billionaires. You literally can donate 1% of your net worth. You'll make it back within like three months and it'll be more money than every single person watching this combined times 10. So I understand some billionaires just don't have perspective and they're asking too much from ordinary people, but in their mind, they want teamwork. I get where they're thinking, but I also understand the other side. Um, But, you know, a lot of people complain about billionaires, whether it's Bill Gates owning the most farmland or whatever Donald Trump does or politicians trading. Guess what? They can do whatever they want because they're rich. It's, It's the best lesson in the world. If you get rich, all that bitterness that you have against rich people will disappear because then you can do whatever you want, too. And then you can change the status quo. You don't have to be jealous of Bill Gates owning the most farmland. You buy the most farmland. You don't like what he's gonna do with it. You do something with it. But like people like to complain about what they don't have. And and, and then it's just like this slippery slope of like just negativity. And it's sad because any single person watching this can overtake Bill Gates. I truly believe that in the next few decades, you can overtake Oprah, The Rock, or Bill Gates, using new technology, using your brain. But too many people don't believe that they can do it, and that's unfortunate.
1: It is because people end up living their whole life without living their true potential, and I think that is one of the saddest things that we can see about human existence and the human condition. Timothy, just wanted to say thank you so much for hopping on the podcast and really enjoyed the conversation.
0: No, my pleasure. You know, I gotta give one final thought because I know yeah,
1: like, let's do it.
0: You know, just saying how like you can overtake Bill Gates and The Rock and Oprah, people are thinking like I probably just like just crushed all all uh all credibility that I had during this whole interview. Because they're like, no way, these are some of the most successful people in the world. But what you don't understand, what many people don't understand, and I'm fortunate to understand. I'm just an average person. My 30 plus millionaire students are average people. None of us have any amazing uh, intelligence levels. We're not like math geniuses, but we've utilized the stock market to get financially free. And whether it's the stock market, whether it's upcoming technology through video content, there's so much going on in this world that will give rise to some new successful millionaires and billionaires. And any single person watching this can do it from anywhere in the world. We'd have a lot of problems in the world, but this is the single best thing. We have the technology where never before in history has this been possible. If you were born into a family, maybe you were a slave. They were a slave. You're a slave. If you were born into a family, it's a family business. That's your you know your your destiny you can't get out of it there's no rules right now okay you literally can use the internet you can literally use this new technology ai who knows what's going to happen but people watching this right now any single person can be the next great success story they don't realize it they might have negative toxic people in their life you have to weed out negative people you have to weed out toxic people from your life from your social media feeds you have to give yourself a chance You know, even if you look at the human brain, we don't know how it works. We use a very small percentage of it. If you can figure out how to use a bigger percentage, you can crush everybody else. You can be in charge if you are smart, if you have higher than average uh, intelligence. It's amazing to see what you can do with this new technology, with the right perspective and work ethic. And I hope that I can reach, you know, maybe one person watching this because, you know, while it seems so out there to have somebody be so successful or powerful or influential, anybody can do it. That is the upside potential of this world. And I'm very excited.
1: Since you left me with one last thought, I'll also leave you with one. Bring it. Uh, I'm a big because fan. your
0: name Timothy, I'm Timothy. It's a battle of Timothys.
1: <laughs> uh, I'm a big fan of Alex Ramosi and he gave a great speech. And it started with, You know, I exited my company for 50 million. And the reason that I started this conference with that statement is because there's gonna be three types of people that hear that message. The first is gonna be like, wow, what a douchebag, he's bragging about how much money he's made. The second group is gonna be skeptical that uh, I, Alex, made that much money. But I'm speaking to the third group of people that get inspired by hearing that, When they realize I was just a normal person, just like they are now. And they see me say that and realize I can achieve better and more in my life. And that's ultimately the most important thing.
0: There's no limits, okay? I was a freaking tennis player and I had surgery on my arms. I'm walking around school like RoboCop with two casts on my arms, but I could type. And that's how I got into the stock market. Like I said, Jack Kellogg was a valet. Tim Gertani, who was featured in CNN, he was working at State Farm Insurance. He had the freaking khaki pants and he was studying when he got back. Matt Monaco learned trading, another one of my millionaire students at 2 million, he learned trading while he was in college. Mariana, my first female millionaire student, she didn't even trade her first year, she studied every day from 10 a.m. to 10 p.m. because she wanted to support her family, and now she's supporting her family. Anybody can do this, not necessarily in the stock market either, but in this world full of opportunity, but you gotta put in the time. You have to sacrifice the short term fun. You have to be okay with the ups and downs in the beginning. Start small so that you don't like lose everything, but gradually you will learn different angles and different techniques. What makes you happiest, what works in different industries, and then you can really do well. Most people. Don't have the mindset, they don't have the work ethic, they're not going to be in it for the long haul, and that's going to hurt, right? Like, there's that meme of what was that? There's a a photo where, like, there's a guy digging for diamonds, and he's so close to catching the diamonds and he turns back, and then the other guy's not even close, but he keeps digging. The guy who keeps digging is going to eventually get the diamonds. That's life, and it's not just diamonds, it's not just wealth, it's health, it's also, you know, happiness. If you keep striving for happiness, you might not get it at first, but if you keep trying passion after passion, one of them might stick or one of them might mutate. Like I got into stock trading for money for the cars. I got the money, I got the cars. Then my passions changed. My second Lamborghini, I got it delivered. I felt nothing. I thought I was dying. I did a cancer test. I was like, why do I feel nothing? I just didn't like cars anymore. I sold all my cars, got into charity, got into teaching, Never would have expected my life to go this way, but now I'm the happiest I've ever been. Far happier than when I first got the money. Far happier than when I first got the cars. The only person who's not happy is my accountant because I donate too much. I don't donate based on like my income level. I donate too much, but that's a luxury that I can afford. You have to think about your happiness. How can you achieve your happiness? You need to get that financial freedom to give yourself more time to explore, to be creative, to try new stuff. And whether it's your first project, second project, first company, second company, fifth company, 10th company, if you keep trying and you're passionate about it, there is no limits to what you can achieve. You just can't give up. That's the only way to lose, if you give up or if you never try. So that's my lesson for today.
1: Happiest you've ever been. And I think we'll leave it on that note. Thank you so much, Timothy.
0: No, thank you. This was awesome. And I hope that, you know, people watching this really either for themselves or somebody else share this with, you know, your friends or your family member who needs to hear it. There's so much negativity out there. There's so much toxicity. We need like a breath of fresh air. We just need to show these examples of people who are happy, who are crushing it and the struggles and journeys and marathons that it took to actually get there because it doesn't happen overnight. But trust me, it's so worth it. I wish that like, I wish that, what is the Elon Musk company where Neuralink, where you can like see into someone's brain. I wish that was a thing right now and you could see into my brain and I could tap this in and everyone would be like, oh my God, I really can do this. We don't have that yet, maybe in the future, but anybody watching this can become a billionaire. Anybody watching this can find true meaning in their lives. Anybody. You just have to start the process right now.
1: Amen.